Hello and welcome to this week's Stats One Podcast with me, James York, and Ted Knutson. And how are we this morning, Ted? Happy to be here, James. Apparently, <laughs> we're record setting. We get more listeners ever than ever more. This is good. The the podcast is is moving up in the world. Yeah, you guys have been and, uh, allegedly telling your friends the two or three that you have because uh, you're nerds that live in your mom's basement, don't you know? Uh, once referred to as a cult. Oh man. Back, back to some of my favorite stories here. Uh, Michael Calvin <laughs> in the, the book about uh, managers or whatever, sitting on a volcano, something like that. Uh, I appeared to that in that book, unbeknownst to me, um, from my time at Brentford, leaning on goalposts and shit like that. But uh, the people that uh, followed me on Twitter were referred to as a cult, which I always appreciate. So you have now been indoctrinated as our own little cultists. Thank you very much. Or quite big, I don't know. Uh, but the point here is that uh, podcast listens are going up, probably because we're talking about transfers, but possibly because people love to hear about James's opinion on pop culture. <laughs> <laughs> we still the MOOC reviews are still mixed on that. Correlation gonna... and causation, James. Come on. Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna dwell too hard in it. I actually right genuinely last night. Uh, predicting some some of this kind of rubbish i actually thought <laughs> i actually thought like what films have i actually watched recently that i actually in- enjoyed and i looked at a list of like films from this year and it was like none <laughs> and i looked at a list of films from last year and it was like none and uh, i think the last kind of like modern film that i actually sat and watched was i think get out which was good it was a good film there you go but that's that's that, a, that's an acceptable answer there right <laughs> See, Marshall that, Taylor, we, we've answered your, your question. I, I suspected that James would tank for the entire podcast, but apparently he prepped for it overnight so that he wouldn't have to. <laughs> I read the questions. I see, I see when things, things are coming. So, yeah, I just don't really watch many films. I might try and watch some films. In fact, I've got some plane journeys like coming up, haven't I? So maybe, maybe that's, the, uh, that's the answer there. So. It's true. I'm, I'm dragging James's sorry ass to Switzerland and then to Los Angeles. So, uh yeah, yeah. I, and and we've already got some offers for some cool meats potentially for tacos in Los Angeles so we're looking forward nice. to that uh, those of you who've not signed up to the courses in Los Angeles or who know coaches that should sign up you know do direct them to the resource center on the statsbomb.com website uh, so that ends the goofy part of today and we're just going to jump into transfers and reader questions we are reader powered for the back end of today uh, but James has scouted out all of the well, not really all. Like a small fraction of the transfer rumors that seemed interesting enough to bother with. Yeah, just just this morning. But I w- by the way, I will I will say I'll take it. I'll take recommendations for films, but they have to be exemplary. Re- you know, if I'm, I'm going to watch one film every three years, then and break that, <laughs> then it has to be really, really top notch. So, um, yeah. <laughs> anyway. <Sorry. laughs> uh, I, I was. I'm, oh, I'm, hang on. I'm be- choosy. Before yeah. we move on, we should mention that. Ah, sad news. Um, our beloved data scientist, Derek Yam, has passed away <laughs> and been reborn as an NFL analyst uh, for the Baltimore Ravens, which yeah. is not an entirely big surprise, given that his mentor is Michael Lopez, uh, <laughs> yeah, who is the head of analytics, of analytics at, uh, <laughs> at the NFL. Um, I, but we are sad because Derek has done great work. Uh, we wish him all the best. Um, we expect him to send a little bit of Raven swag uh, to the office, partly to irritate our, our chief commercial officer, Shagul, who's a Pats fan, uh, and Ewan, who's also a Pats fan. But anyway, uh, that's, that's internal news. We are not hiring for this position uh, right now uh, because we're going to fill that internally. 
but we are hiring for a senior tech role on our website right now. We will be posting a junior front-end developer role. So if you wanted to make StatsBomb IQ like super cool, uh, that would be a good one way to do it. And we will also probably have another couple hires over the course of the summer. So if you've ever wanted to come work at StatsBomb and you are a technology person, uh, developers preferably, uh, definitely keep an eye out for that type of information. Right, so let's get into this because people are gonna get angry that we're jabbering on about all the things that we jabber about. That's four minutes. That's fine. All right. <laughs> okay. So, like, first, first rumor that, that you, you can't miss this one because it was a, it was a, it was just a treat, really. And uh, the, the story came out yesterday: the idea that Alex Ferguson was re- recommending Steve Walsh as a consultant to Man United. I mean, I could, I could go alongside this and say, like, a three-year deal for Juan Matters on the thirty-one-year-old Juan Matters reportedly on the table. These are interesting moves from our perspective, I think. Um, you know, not to not to be to the detriment of uh, you know anyone's uh, skills in their job, but they're not the moves that I would make. I think it's probably the polite way I'd put it. Is this where I'm supposed to respond? You're allowed to respond. I'm, I'm slightly concerned I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> That's okay. I personally, Steve Walsh had a great time, like uh, hiking in uh, some you know t- title-winning players whilst at Leicester, but you know the rest of his, his tenure has. Uh, elsewhere has been less successful Everton it wasn't quite so successful would, would it, you call it squiffy uh, yes if I was an upper class English person I probably would go along with squiffy but you're Welsh um, not Welsh but I'm <laughs> certainly not upper class Class, but um, yeah it's it's an odd one I, I, I can't see the answer we haven't seen very many kind of like impressive fresh ideas like rumoured coming out of Man United I think the one thing that <laughs> the you rumors could say, are actually kind of horrifying right like yeah. if, if they were fresh and, and interesting you'd be a little bit excited by it but um, yeah. uh, <laughs> they are really not yeah I mean like you know we can hint on these again as well because like there's stories about Lukaku and Pogba going these are their good players that are in their peak age they have value true but they're, they're good players in peak age and then uh, you know, someone like Matter signing on for a bit because he's a good guy in the dressing room and, you know, things like that. I don't know. I, I mean, I like Juan Matter as a player. I think he's very talented. But, you know, three years for a 31-year-old who you know, potentially might have been declined had, hasn't you know, been a bit in and out of the team over the last year. It's not really the way forward, is it? Maybe don't do that. Uh, the, we talked a couple weeks ago about the United extensions for some older English players that have kind of uncertain roles in the squad. And that one mostly explained away via um, sort of homegrown type stuff. They also bought Dan James. Uh, They are rumored, or did that actually happen, where they bought Longstaff as well? No, I don't think that's happened yet. It's just, you know, rumored. Yeah. um, Man, I'm... I'm not really on board with a lot of stuff happening here. I, Steve Walsh, yeah, I have some respect because like he's been going to you know, education stuff, I think uh, sporting director education, and, and seems like he's got an open mind. Uh, but his his history is, is certainly mixed, and, and most recent appointment, um, yeah, let's not talk about that. But um, eh, United summer, very complicated, nothing indicating that 
they're necessarily moving in the right direction. If they get results on the pitch, it won't matter, will it? Bit of a bit of an odd one there, and you know we kind of look look on from the outside of Man United, curious as to how that how they will progress. Well, one of these funny stories that's come out uh, again this morning: Lukaku for Akadi plus some money, and we get this all these. The summer is always full of these swap deals. You know, we're not quite in NBA territory you now with you know multi players and, and getting swapped from town to town, and they very scarcely happen. Um, one wonders that they, they they might be might be something that happens more often in the future. Uh, these kind of like swap swap deals, but um, you know, as yet they they get talked about more than they happen. I think is the best way of putting that. I feel like if if we did have you know sort of the NBA style thing we would just have to podcast five days a week, especially during the summertime. <laughs> like, we create our own uh, potential deals that solve many different problems. And, and the, the creativity that you could employ here would be endless. Uh, yeah. So the Lukaku and Icardi thing is weird. So I actually posted something on, um, on Twitter recently about Lukaku and how his performance year over year was almost identical, which I didn't expect, right? Like, I'd, we don't look at every single player all the time. In fact, many times we're not even looking at Premier League players that closely because if we're if we're scouting, we're probably not scouting there. We're scouting like everywhere else. Um, and so, like, I'd been following the the noise, but in reality, like Lukaku was almost the same guy. Mm-hmm. Is that guy worth ninety million that you know I paid for him now? No, probably not. Although potentially, like you know, if you think that United have been specifically weird the last two seasons. Maybe that's actually quite interesting. You think that Lukaku as a package is more and he's been poorly employed or yeah, I'm poorly employed in his role, whatever. Um, Icardi, yeah. <laughs> Icardi is a soap opera, much like Neymar is a soap opera. And do you want to bring that on? Like, I don't think so. I think, I think, you know, Inter might be tired of Icardi, uh, possibly wouldn't want to move him, you know, Icardi might want to move to some other place. Lukaku is certainly looking for a place to land, it feels like, anyway. But then yeah. the question is, like, who's playing there? Like, what is United buying? What's going on? I don't know. They, it's really weird because the, the rumors are all low-key or outgoings, and there aren't a lot of good incomings that seem intriguing. But they, they also have so much money that they could buy whomever. So... Yeah, well, another one that was linked uh, just this morning was Issa Diop, who seems to have like. I mean, my ignorance really. I hadn't. He hadn't really kind of like cropped up into my into my radar particularly uh, over the last season. Though it sounds like he had a very good season for West Ham, um, and like suddenly seventy five million pounds. It might be his asking price, and United might want him. Talk that they tried to swap Martial and money. I'm not buying that. They only just signed on Martial for another contract, I think. And I'm, I'm sure one of the owners was quote was was quoted or quietly quoted as saying he was his favourite player. And then potentially Phil Jones could go the other way. And it's just, oh, I mean, it's chaotic. But it, I wouldn't be surprised to see Man United actually if they do go out and you know spend a lot of money on a centre back, um, even even if they denied um, Mourinho that. Uh, last summer, you know, to just just still still looking around for like the new Vidic and Ferdinand, you know, all these years later, doesn't feel like a the worst idea. So if they've identified Issa Diop as as someone who they feel can prosper in their system, uh, I say system, but you know, in their team, then I wouldn't necessarily be averse. That sounds like a lot of money, though. You know, that's Virgil Van Dijk money. You've got to be pretty confident there. Yeah, and and maybe they are. Um, the question is. 
we forget that Manchester United can just Real Madrid whenever they want to, right? Like they, they've yeah. had such a huge gap in commercial revenues versus the rest of the league. They probably overpay uh, a lot of the players because of that, because it's yeah you know, pretty easy to you know, the, Historically, it seems like it might be easy to get good deals out of there, but the the reality is like they just can. And and we forget because they don't seem to often do that, but they can spunk, you know, 100, 200 million without too much of a problem, especially if they get some outgoings. Uh, and actually, their outgoings might be more important. And we, we kind of talked historically about how there's so much time and energy spent on incomings now and very little on outcomings to none. In some yeah. cases, it's like the agents that are expected to, to get their players out. But, <clears throat> you know, finding players that you want to get off the books you know, good homes and finding ways to approach those places uh, has a lot of value now because of how expensive everything is in the Premier League and how big the wages are, etc. So you don't almost need a bit like the loan officer rule. Like you almost need somebody hmm. inside of your recruitment department that's focused on on outgoings and and cost savings where where necessary or where yeah, possible. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that entirely. I mean, we. You know, we've we've seen it over time. Like you know, clubs ending up with bloated squads or imbalanced squads with you know not you know struggling for homegrown or things like that. And yeah, certainly if you've got someone, someone who's like actively is their role to like you know work out how how they can you know work through the outs and make sure they have got like enough homegrown players. I mean that was that was something that we we hinted on a few podcasts ago about like you know why have Man United kind of retained some of these some of these players like someone like Ashley Young or or you know maybe even Phil Jones or something because. You know, they had to have some like homegrown players in in the squad, and I stress know, that we know nothing though. <laughs> no, no, true, <laughs> true. But like you know, you you think like right, okay, you could maybe filter one of one of these guys or one or two of these guys like per season out and retool. And if they are going to go buy people like Dan James and potentially Longstaff and stuff, then it would suggest a greater awareness towards this fact. But we'll see. It feels like all these rumours are centred around Man United, which is interesting because I noticed the other day, the Premier League uh, has been notably quiet to start with, certainly the big six. Now, no one's signing anyone at the moment. You've got feelings on this that they're they're all getting quoted daft prices left, right and centre, so they're, they're keeping their powder dry. But yeah, it's, it's it's kind of slow going at the moment, which doesn't really stop the rumor mill. <laughs> yeah, Quite the, the opposite. The Premier League premium is always steep and possibly more at the beginning of the market. Like you want you want to be more like the German teams. Like, how much is it going to cost us to just get this player? It felt like that with Real Madrid. They're just like, how much is it going to get it cost us to get Eden? Yeah, and they're like, yeah, fine. All right, we're done. He's here. Good. <laughs> yeah, and and sometimes that has value, but <laughs> twenty million over what they potentially should have paid. I don't know. Like Real Madrid do that sometimes. Um, all right, so let's let's move on to one that you might care about a little bit. Christian Eriksen for forty five million and Danny Sabalos. Yeah, I mean, again, one of these weirdo swap deals. Uh, that one feels almost realistic, as in as in so far as it solves problems for everyone. I mean, the Pogba the Pogba stroke Ericsson to Real Madrid kind of one of the two could go there thing has been rumbled on a little bit. Statistically, with late, I would be very excited by Danny Sabalos. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's 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 decent. I whether I can't particularly see them giving him away uh, in. In in this fashion specifically, but James that would is cer- trying not to break his own heart here. That Come would ser- that would certainly <laughs> like kind of you know it, if Pog there's now thoughts that Pogba wants to go back to Juve again. I mean, who who knows? Everyone Ooh, gets linked with Juve. This isn't on the list, but this is a great time to talk about that. I will. 
James is going to poo-poo this anyway. Christian Eriksen, whatever. He doesn't want to talk about it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Juventus is mad. So, like, the rumors on Juventus versus their budget versus their actual incoming outgoings. Like, this is just stonking. Like, do they have suddenly, like, Barcelona's budget? Because, so when we look at it, um, I had some pretty good insight last year uh, behind some Iguain finances. And Iguain's deal is very hefty. Uh, and then they signed Cristiano Ronaldo. And they really needed yeah. to shift Iguain from a wages perspective because it was getting difficult for them to balance their budget uh, because Ronaldo takes up so much of it. And, you know, UVA pay quite well, but there's only so much. Like, they're still in Italy. They don't have Premier League TV deals behind them, um, etc. So we've got that, and that's the starting point. And then they sign Aaron Ramsey to this bumper deal that, again, is just wages, but it's enough wages that you're like, you know, that's fairly significant. And then the Pogba rumors are there and the other rumors are there. Adrian Rabio potentially signing there. Like the wage packages of, of these incoming mm-hmm. guys are like top tier players. They're really quite good, but they're top tier wage packages as well. So even if you're getting them on a free... Uh, <laughs> you're, you're paying a lot. And if you're already struggling from a budgetary perspective on the wages, like what do their outgoings look like? Uh, I mean, I, are they getting rid of... I, the, the Zhao Cancelo thing is is one that, you know, potentially they're getting rid of. Uh, they probably can't get or maybe are no longer interested in Jorginho to get him out of Chelsea. I don't know, but I'm just looking at their budget and it's tricky. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Re- Juventus. I mean, maybe Dybala could rock up somewhere, but do they really want to get rid of them? They they always seem to carry a huge squad. I mean, they are they're like an Italian squad of the nineties, where they always used to carry about six strikers and stuff. Uh, less so on the striker from they Well, they seem to... they still seem to own bits and pieces of like half of Italy as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember doing a you know project some while ago, uh, you know, looking for young players, and like if they weren't owned, you know, they you'd look at some small league. Oh, this this guy looks good. This guy looks talented, and it was like, oh right, he's well, he's one of Chelsea's lone army, or he's being contracted to Juventus in some way. And it, time and again, you'd find this kind of like recurrent theme of like, yeah, they've they've already got there. <laughs> you think you've spotted an undiscovered gem? It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> No, one of the one of the giants, and particularly Juve uh, over in Italy. You know, you'd find lots of lots of players kind of like fit fit that bill. Um, where can we go to now? We've got um, a couple of. Well, is it moves that we just don't know? Did Torreira tout Lucas Torreira touting for a move back to Italy? Uh, he's, I think he's actually. There's. I read a quote saying that he's like not really sure about England as a country. He's um, discovered that the the weather is shit and Brexit might happen. And uh, and I'm sure there wasn't there a Zach, there was a Jacques rumor for for him to go to to Italy as well. So like I mean, I know Jacques is not the most popular like player in Arsenal's fan base, but like these are again like the right age players that you don't really want to move 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 out um, just yet. I would have thought. Uh, no, not sure about that. At rumors all. are rumors. Uh, it's natural <laughs> yeah. to to connect Arsenal players to Ivan Gazidis because, yeah, the, I mean he he's now at AC Milan. I we have no knowledge there. Milan have shifted gears this summer. That, that's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, so Leonardo out there, but it seems like he's gone to PSG, and then yeah. Basically, Paolo Maldini is now doing it. Uh, 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 Totti apparently is b- burning down the, the the Roma ownership. Italy is uh, fiery this summer, I think is how I would refer to it. But again, rumors are rumors. Should we switch? 
Should we do some questions? We should do some questions. We've got lots of questions. Well, I'll tell you what. We've- you guys gave us like five pages of questions. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for giving us so many questions. But my God, there were a lot of questions. <laughs> so we've got a few of them. And... Um, you know, we can we we can go we can go through the ones that we've highlighted and edited. So let's start off. Do, it. Do, Do it. you think more clubs turning their black towards turning sorry turning back towards ex players as managers, e.g., Solskjaer, Woodgate, Parker, potentially Lampard, is a reaction to the rise of more modern forms of analysis in ruining no sorry running football teams? <laughs> James, was that Freudian? Yeah, it was deliberately, but yeah, it did make me wonder. I mean, no, those are the twin kind of the, the twin kind of uh, ideas in hand, wasn't it? Someone replied to this in, on Twitter, said suggesting that it was a good idea if you wanted to make like modern changes, like you know, ramp up the analytics and you know, get get smart in the background, then just to just to conceal it, stick a club legend in the front in the front seat, and you know, nobody will notice. But they had to not screw it up. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. I mean, I, I just thought it was quite a funny idea, but it is. Yeah, I mean, certainly Man United. If Chelsea go for Lampard as well, that is that is kind of like yeah, tradition. I we we I like guess it slid is, yeah. back to to trad roles, and but part of the I think a little bit of this is a reaction to having gone through like all of the coaches, right? Yeah, like, yeah. When when you look worldwide, like the best coaches have mostly been tried in the Premier League over the past few seasons uh, or have like pretty good rules elsewhere at big clubs. And so if you've been through all of these coaches and you, you can't find one that you're fully happy with or they don't want to come to you, uh, maybe you, you do try this. And, and I know for a fact that Lampard is like very highly regarded. I don't know as much about Scott Parker, but I sense that he's probably pretty high regarded in, in terms of like intelligence and yeah, a good player at his time. Um, Woodgate, you know, kind of a bit of a club legend at Borough as well. And Solskjaer, I think, was naturally weird. And and now, we ha- I don't think we really addressed this at the time. I didn't hate that, and you didn't hate that. But my big problem with signing OGS to this deal was that they didn't need to do it at that point. Yeah, no, no. They could have done it with much more information at the end of the season. No one's really bidding for him. He's yeah, he's not yeah, he's not really, you know, going to go go somewhere else. You're not going to lose him or anything. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, when they did give give him the contract, I, I was okay with it because I felt like he he just kind of improved them to a level that was they were, you know, back to kind of like Man United level and and yeah, I, I, all the arguments against like employing Solskjaer were, are entirely valid as well and the fact that they were ballooning over their expected goals. And you just couldn't you couldn't actually predict that they would just kind of balloon so far under their expected goals and their expected goals fall in a hole. Right. Uh, so like, you know, me- metrics wise, I mean it created this perfect narrative that the, the stats people are like, you know, kind of online commentary kind of uh, people are like perfectly happy to say like, yep, see what a daft idea this was but it, it wasn't quite as cut and dried as that but your point is entirely valid there was there was there was no need to kind of like rush with this and it's the same with Lampard you know if, if let's say Lampard goes to Chelsea like you know and they sign him up to some long-term contract or something you don't need to do that you could just sign him on a short-ish contract and you know see how it goes I mean well I think the clubs have generally gotten quite a bit smarter about the contracts for managers they just realize how how things work uh, so usually there are get out clauses for various potential outcomes. Like if you finish outside of the Champions League, then your compensation is like dramatically reduced or something like that. Um, but back to the premise of the question. Uh, is it a reaction toward modern analysis running football teams? Uh, that would assume that 
any of these clubs are run by modern analysis. I mean, Fulham might be the one that you'd say is closest to that. Yeah, they've tried different versions, haven't they, certainly. Uh, but, you know, I don't think Burrow uh, under Tony Pulis has, has shown that. Uh, Man United certainly have not shown that. Chelsea doesn't seem like uh, an analytical club or have been. They might use it in ways that we don't know about. So, yeah, I... For, I don't really have a direct answer to it. It just feels like business as normal or as usual as you get to the end of the coaching ranks that you think are good enough to really improve your team. Here's a fun question. How much weight, quote, fat, would Messi have to put on between now and next season in order for Barcelona to just send him home and try to void his contract? Now, I I saw this and I immediately dubbed it the Maradona conundrum. (laughs) Because, you know, basically is kind of what happened to Maradona, apparently. Yeah, and uh, Maradona's lifestyle was slightly erratic back in those Napoli days. I haven't seen the film. The films have just come out. Maybe I'll watch that, but it's football, so it's not there quite you go. a film. M- multi-day, yeah, that- multi-day Coke binges, and then he sweats it out and is ready for in time for the weekend. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> that's fine, isn't it? That's the life, life of a sportsman in the 80s. But... <laughs> I'm I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed. You and you and our analyst asked this question. I'm annoyed that he's he's clarified fat because I was I was I I had this idea that you know Messi if Messi lost weight then right then you'd send him home and void his contract. I.e. in some horrific accident he lost a leg or something or an arm. That's a point. If Messi lost an arm, (laughs) could he could he still? Would you still employ him? Would he still be good? Would his balance his balance be ruined? Wouldn't it? You've turned this into a horror movie. <laughs> I it, it was originally just kind of funny, but but now we've gotten really dark all of a sudden. Messi, how good would Messi be with no arms? Um, not as good. He maybe free kicks. No, I'm not sure. Mm, tricky. Yeah. Oh, sorry. So anyway, with the question, Ted, how big? Right? How big before you? Could, I mean, you're not going to cancel his contract. So I, I thought that you were not talking about fat. Like maybe he just turns into Shakiri, right? Like you know. <laughs> which yeah, I think this is why you and you and you delineated between fat and muscle. You know, if he come back just like this big muscle dude. I, I think Messi at like even twenty pounds heavier, and he's not he's not big. He doesn't have a big frame. Hmm. You still play him. He's fine. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's going to have to be really, 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 really big. Wait, 30? Is, is that like 20% extra body fat? And you're not going to cancel his contract. You're just going to shout at him. And for fuck's sake, man, what, what's happened to you? He, he just decides to do what he did when Guardiola was there and drink a lot of Coke or Pepsi. Whatever the the sponsored drink is, you know, just just as much as you possibly can. It, it reminds me of uh, so we're in NFL um, sort of summer season and and college summer season, and those guys you you like once a year you see some big thing about how many calories they're going through yeah. in order to try and like bulk up and all the muscle programs they're on and stuff like that. Like six thousand calories a day, nine thousand calories. It's like when when Phelps was swimming and how much he had just to maintain his body weight. Eight full chickens for breakfast and <laughs> And dry white toast. <laughs> Sorry, that was an old movie too. Older than pretty much all of you, Blues Brothers. All right, so <clears throat> um, moving on. I answered this question publicly, but I didn't really give a straight answer because that's not what we do. Uh, alternatives to Dombele for Spurs if the deal stalls. 
Um, what did you say? You said like cater. Like my, my answers were so good, and and I, I dug them up by looking at Dumbelly right now, and uh, and just doing basic similarity scores, which you know isn't ideal. You do more than that, but it, it can give you some really cool stuff. What so were yeah. your answers? Uh, Lo Celso in seventeen eighteen, he played like twenty yeah. twenty one matches at PSG. Wow. Okay. Great. How do you not play yeah. that? Uh, Keita at, at Leipzig in 1718. Uh, someone in the Bundesliga this year <laughs> that I didn't want to answer straight. And uh, oh man, I'm forgetting it. But like, also another really obvious one. I'll just actually bring it up first on the on the screen. We apparently have this information at our fingertips. Did you know the magic yeah. of stats by Mikey? Yeah. So here's them by like uh, similar players. Uh, Rasmus Falk. Uh, in Denmark, which actually I thought he was an attacker, so like not really sure about that one. Um, oh, Andres Iniesta, the last season at, at Barcelona. Uh, Luka Modric, uh, a bit this year. You know, Jack he... Wilshire, last seventeen eighteen. What? what? Please, what please, please, please re- rebuild this algorithm. <laughs> this no, is not true. Really <laughs> no, but no, the, the, I, I did have a quick look at this. Oh, Paul Pogba, is... Danny Sabalos. It's tough because it is just like loads of really good, like, you know, central midfielders. And we should, should you know, make the point, like, in Don Bale's, um like, metrics, he does look really strong. You know, I mean, I haven't watched loads of him. You know, I can't watch all the football. I do watch a lot of football to my <laughs> family annoyance. But, uh, yeah, he, he's, he's certainly like someone who he, I would <laughs> instinctively think, yeah, you should probably try and sign him. And he, like, you know, funnily enough looks like a lot of lot of very good midfielders and it's interesting because like yeah we've got Lo Celso on this list and Danny Shabalos on this list who both like you know have been linked so uh, maybe 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 Team, Spurs are looking at stats maybe teams not. are getting smarter I, I, they just are I, I don't I don't think there's any doubt especially at the top tier um, you know they, it costs them a fraction of the budget they are doing better than they used to and they just really do not fuck up in the same way <laughs> I will also Andre Gomez like is the, the the talk has settled down on him going to Everton for something like I think this morning it was twenty two million plus add-ons mm. which felt okay I mean again it's very not, reasonable yeah we're on record as not being the world's biggest uh, you know Andre Gomez fans and I personally wasn't keen on him moving to Tottenham there's been noise about that earlier in the summer um, there you go Everton have you know kind of like potentially just like got him in for for not silly money which which is you know. Well, price matters, okay. 100%. Price always matters. Like, it's price and what level of player you're expecting from this player. So, you know, is he a Barcelona player? Like, so many times with the Arsenal rumors these days, I'm like, look, it doesn't matter. Like, he doesn't improve your squad, so why are you bothering? Like, you're getting a warm body. That's not the point of this stuff. Um, but, you know, Andre Gomez, who's probably a touch above uh, a Premier League average midfielder for, like, $22 million, which is, you know, about an average midfielder price, Seems absolutely fine. Yeah, it's, it's it's not as horrible as it might have benefited. You know, forty million, and you know, mm, no. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on. Right, what have we got now? When does reverse money ball happen? Uh, if players who were previously undervalued now become correctly valued, is there an opportunity somewhere for the reverse to happen? So I I have this theory um, that I think actually really quite good that there are three phases of how sports are disrupted by data. And, uh, and analytics and statistics. And it's in my presentation on YouTube from the, the Barcelona analytics conference from last year. There's a slide in there that talks about it. Like the first one is Moneyball. Like the first phase is always that uh, wages 
and transfer fees are such a huge part of team budgets that it makes sense to start there. Can we find better players for cheap? The second phase is like style of play and coach stuff. So are there better ways to play the game? This is some of the stuff we actually presented in our uh, introductory course and will continue to do so. And I think that that's like almost unique. Like most people are not talking about this. Some teams understand it pretty well, but we've we've been you know quite a bit ahead of the curve <clears throat> on that, at least in private conversations. And then the third one is player development. And it's basically saying, you know, how do we take a player that does a lot of good things, but seems to have some flaws and how do we produce and polish gems out of that? And like, I mean, obviously the, the example from right now in terms of zeitgeist would be Kawhi Leonard, who was a second round draft pick and didn't seem like he could really shoot. And then you know, San Antonio had a, a shooting coach, like turn him into one of the, the best players in the NBA. And now he has a title with the Toronto Raptors. So that and baseball is like hugely in this phase right now. They've completely changed how they develop players. Houston Astros have done it like just totally different. And it's, I've been having this conversation a lot recently with people um, who are professionals in football, and they're like, you know, you <laughs> you guys at, at Statsbomb itself have just a different way of looking at it. And I said it's because I didn't grow up playing this game. Like we didn't even have soccer that I could play when I was a, a little kid. Uh, where I grew up, and so like I have no preconceptions at all. Like I, I don't, I didn't learn the right way or anything because like I, I didn't play at the point that someone would teach me the right way. So I just came here and I looked at it from a gambling perspective, which is kind of what matters, uh, what contributes to wins. Like I, I, I would just question everything, and that's what happened in baseball too. The the traditional knowledge was so strong that it took people to just completely blow it up, get rid of the the coaches that were old school and be like, let's start over, let's use technology, let's really interrogate what matters, what doesn't. Um, so going back to reverse money ball, like definitely sometimes it's a market and you know, there'll be some things that are overvalued. You'll disagree about the value of certain skill sets and some people will also disagree about the rarity of that skill set, which you know will drive prices up. Um, is there an opportunity for the reverse to happen? You know, it, it will mostly stabilize, but we're still quite early in this. And as, as we just said, it's happening more at the top tier, but there's a lot of football that happens below that that's really quite interesting. And there's still a lot of money that is exchanged below that that's you know, quite valuable. So I, I don't even know if that's a, a direct answer to the question, but it kind of gives you the context around the question and saying that, you know, there are other phases and disruptions that will happen. Um, <clears throat> speaking of disruptions, so this was a thing that I said we would turn into a podcast question, which is, did you see the study from TIFO or the video from TIFO talking about corners? I haven't watched it. I'm aware of it. So this is a video that used a different data set, but said something like, you know, 1.6% of corners turn into goals, which is even less than the more commonly quoted two or two and a half percent. Um, and then people are like making conclusions off of this, uh, like, you know, you shouldn't be taking corners into the box. Uh, Matt Doyle, who, whose work I like on MLS, but I wanted, to, I gave him a hard time about this was that, you know, for, for the last five, 10 years, you know, you should only really be taking short corners. Uh, <laughs> so you've heard me talk about this enough. Like what are the problems with this approach in analyzing the population as a whole and then making uh, outcomes, outcome-based decisions off of that. If like the vast, vast majority of the population don't do the most preferable or efficient things in this realm, then your analysis of the population is going to be that 
this is not a good way of doing things and you're going to miss the fact that the handful or smaller amount of people that do smart things that are you know genuinely creating edges they're just lost in the population aren't they you know exactly you, you, you if you're looking at you averages or medians or anything like that but the outliers are what matter then you're focusing on the wrong thing and statistical analysis of this population is going to is meaningless effectively especially when you're in a disruption phase and that's that's like the really interesting part of, of where we're at right now um you know set pieces we have disrupted them, and they are ripe to be disrupted. Uh, England did a bit of this at the World Cup. Um, the, no one is close to optimal on how they do it. They're just traditional. And this leads you to a point where data analysis on this particular thing doesn't really give you anything useful because the population is bad. They're dumb. Um, and it's not dumb saying like the people doing it are are you know not capable of intelligent thought like it's just really ignorant and and as we said about xg like a bit naive in that you know it doesn't have enough information inside of it so this is an area and there are lots of other ones actually where you care more about the outliers um and i use the astros uh, in, a, in a reply conversation about this to someone who's in the basketball realm saying that <clears throat> if you had assumed that all of baseball were developing players pretty well and then the Astros were in their early phases and they were you know, learning and doing okay things, but also doing really weird things. Then you, you would say that the Astros were, were the, probably the dumb or wrong ones because they were doing something different, whereas baseball was still tradi producing traditional stars. But then suddenly like the Astros would get really good in really unusual ways. And because their whole player development process is completely different, now you look at it and say, wow, okay, they were like really ahead of the curve and they were testing some things and they were learning stuff and optimizing player development. And they're still way ahead of the curve. In fact, like baseball's trying to catch up, but you know, the, the rap soto uh, and high-speed camera stuff apparently has, has had a huge impact on movement of, of, uh, of pitches now. And pitches move more than they ever used to at the, at the pitcher level. And, and again, like that's high-tech stuff that is having an impact on player development that never would have happened in, in the traditional ways. So, yeah, I, the, the corner stuff is, the population is bad. Don't, don't worry about corners right now. If we get five, ten years from now and, and it, we're still scoring at 1.5%, which feels like a really terrible level, then worry about it. But... Right now, I think that you'll see a lot of differences in the, in the next five years, including just based on who is at our, our course. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's kind of a, a, a fun potential outcome to look out for is, is uh, you know, some, some ideas that we know that we've uh, spread spread out into the world uh, coming to fruition. Um, right, let's move on. What have we got now? Fun question. Which player we mentioned in every transfer rumors column but end up staying right where he is? Um, I felt like that was Bruno, Bruno Fernandez, who like the the kind of the dial kind of tick. Is he the new William Carvalho? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's dial tick round to Tottenham this week, and it was like, no, don't be silly, not buying that. L one. Liverpool fans are like, ooh, he, he's really interesting. Ooh, his <laughs> shot locations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Man, like... Man United one week, and it was just like, yeah, so he's obviously obviously you know available for a large fee. Uh, for his agent, ah, uh, sorry, for his club, and <laughs> you know, so maybe he's that. What serious question was Angelino very likely going back to City? What does this mean for Zinchenko? Now, I thought, I, I mean, I don't know what's true and what's not. I thought that the Angelino thing was that they might flip him because, like, you know, they've got buybacks and profits that they can make on it. But I don't Arsenal know extracted like 
I don't know, six million extra pounds or something out of a Carlos Vela deal at Sociedad from this as well. Uh, so yeah, it does happen from time to time. Uh, do City need a left back? Probably. So that's that part of it's true. What does it mean for Zinchenko? Look, this is I love Kevin De Bruyne Jr. <laughs> I I think that he's like totally underutilized as a left back. I think that he should be a, an attacking wide midfielder for one of the best teams in the world. Um, he hasn't been that. He's been a very good other player for uh, for Man City. And he actually is quite versatile. I think he's learned so much under Pep. Like his game is really developed that he's not necessarily a guy that would want to get rid of. Uh, but he's also a guy that wants playing time. So we don't really know. Um, it's a weird situation actually because like the Pep's style and the dominance that Man, U- Man City exude in so many of their games means their fullbacks they, they don't get tested in the way that like other fullbacks do. You know, so much of so much of their their players like in possession, high up the pitch. Um, and you know what? 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 What is it? What is a left back? You know, the modern left back. This a two two way left back. I mean, Man City left backs are almost like kind of like one way left backs. Yeah, they, only, they uh, just only go forward. It's, re- so it's like, oh well, they well they yeah exactly. Or they they oh they need a left back, and it's like well, evidently not because like um apart from um, Walker on the other other side, you know he's 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 stuck Delph in there. Delph was a central midfielder for years. You know, like you say, Zinchenko's like potentially a very decent midfielder himself so yeah it's really kind of like odd setup with I mean uh, you know too simplistic to just say like you know these are vulnerabilities that may maybe you know come up in the Champions League at times but uh, yeah I mean it's it's stylistically you know you, you don't like go and look at like you know your traditional left back and think right let's get a left back for Man City they it's just almost a completely different skill set and requirement that that they use in that position you know at least under Guardiola it's yeah it's a funny one anyway here's Wait, a good what? question relevant to me but I think <laughs> yeah it's... you can answer this one no it's <laughs> uh, you can answer this too I can answer it in about three words go on what should Brentford do stick with Mopai or Mopé, uh, Benrama, and Watkins, or sell and invest again? Sell and invest. There you go. That's the method, isn't it? That's the idea. Well, but at what point do you stop? And that's that's kind of <laughs> yeah, what makes yeah. this question interesting. So so Mopé, Benrama, and Watkins, you're looking at collectively probably £50 million worth of value there. Um, the first two being the more valuable ones at the moment. Uh, Watkins got injured for a bit last year, but still looks like a Premier League talent as well. Brentford's model is to find undervalued talent, develop it, and then sell it on for for you know more of what it should be worth. And they have developed once again like some of the best attackers that um, yeah that are in the championship. Uh, and you know, you know we know that some bigger clubs are are looking at these guys too because you know how how good are they really? They've got interesting skill sets for for top tier talent as well. Um, so at some point, the goal then becomes to like be able to get into the Premier League, right? Like you just don't want to flip your players forever for a profit if like you are a competitive entity. And you know Brentford started so small and and without that much money, but they've sold very well over the last five years, uh, including you know a number of double digit sales uh, off of their forwards. These guys look like they're probably good enough to be the top attackers next year in the league. Do they have enough money to take from, say, the the Chris Meffham sale and and maybe some leftover, and add like a midfielder to? They've got to replace some depth at at center back, and and would it, would it put them like into the mix not just for 
the playoff, but like close to the top two. And that's an, that's an open question right now. And at some point that switches. My guess is they're probably not quite there. If they sell this round of players uh, and then they can kind of reinvest and, and upgrade the squad in a lot of different little ways. Uh, but then the question then becomes, can you find another Mope and, and Ben Rama who, who look fantastic? I don't know. Uh, there's some point at which your philosophy has to switch, though. Yeah, I, I still, it still feels like you know from the outside that they're 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 too small to like you know really kind of like orientate their like short term plans towards promotion. I mean, which which sounds kind of backwards because of course you want to get promoted and get the riches of the Premier League. But I feel, or know, if you, you really like your coach and you think yeah. that this coach is the one that that can help get you there, like Brentford, outside of a period right around when Dean Smith was was potentially going to Villa were really good, but they got like a ton of squad injuries in that period. And they had, you know, like a 10, 15 game gulf where things went really badly. And then they, they performed pretty well to, to very well at the end of the season as well. So maybe they're like on that cusp. These guys, I think, have still have pretty decent contracts. Um, so, you know, you don't have to sell them. You might be able to, to run for it another year. You do the Ajax thing where, hey, let's keep the band together. We like our coach. We like our group. Uh, let's spend... Uh, you know, say 10, 12 million total on, on some midfield upgrades and and uh, and a center back backup and, and go for it. it. I don't know if that's the point at which they're at. Uh, I'm not going to ask the, the people I know at the club because like that would be cheating. But um, I don't know. I, I think that it's it's a fun question for them to have because it means that they're almost to that next transitional step. Mm. Yeah, and that transition is is, you know, hard. Because we've seen, you know, various clubs come out, actually come out of the championship and approach the problem differently. Like Fulham spent lots of money. Teams like uh, Burnley and Huddersfield were a bit more pragmatic, as you know, when they came up and didn't try, tried not to overreach. And yeah, I mean, you wouldn't expect, you know, Brentford to be overreaching at all. But like at some point, you know, if you do get into that mix of of going up, you know, you you've got to really kind of like cement your ideas as to how you're going to. You know, progress if you did go up, and- or some teams go up and just immediately look to sell. I think Hull did that the first year that they went, or the most recent time they went up, uh, didn't end up with a sale. And we know that Sheffield United are are on the blocks because their owner has been like, "Yeah, I'd, I like to watch from from the stands as a fan next year." Yeah, that's an interesting one as well, isn't it? Uh, so I'm going to cut through this next question because I I highlighted it myself, but I didn't want to answer the whole thing. So, are the best soccer players underpaid relative to the value they bring, and will analytics be used more in determining soccer salaries? Right. Um, how about how about the first part? Do you think? I don't think so. No. Um, like, it depends what wage data you're reading. There was a, there was a website someone put up quite recently which seemed to have a hell of a lot of wage data, which was really interesting. <laughs> I don't know where the, where the wage data had come from, but like there was some there were some crazy high high wages in there. Like someone like Griezmann was on like in, suggested to be on incredibly high money. Considering I I don't know. I think the very best are, are paid. You know, really 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 well and i think in proportion to you know the value they bring probably just about okay yeah i um, think i think that's probably right i think that you know there's a distribution plenty of players are underpaid plenty of players are overplayed but like in general because there's no salary cap especially like it's probably pretty accurately reflected the second part i think is actually really interesting because you know we we talked to to agent groups and have been for three four years now since since it came out of football and this became something interesting to them. And we know there are some agent groups that already use uh, stats and data, but there's a story behind this that I think I'm not sure if has been told, but around the time that Raheem Sterling was looking for his next contract at Liverpool, 
um, some of the people that represent him came around to some stats people and asked what they thought. And I was I was one of those that was that was asked, and I basically said, you know, if if Raheem isn't getting, you know, at a minimum six figures with some some nice bonuses, like somebody screwed up. Uh, looking at his corollaries, his, his historic comparatives, he looks like he will be one of the best players in football in in his peak year. So ages you know twenty four to to twenty seven ish, somewhere around there, and. I think initially my response was so strong that the people that listened were slightly taken aback. But then I said, you know, the follow-up question here is this. If you don't believe me, go talk to like Chelsea or City and have a conversation with them to say, you know, what would his transfer be, be potentially? And that will also guide you on his wage package. Like what should he be paid? Um, and analytics actually is really good at helping you determine that because they can look all across your corollaries for your current performance, like you can build age curves into it. You can look at, you know, where might they be in in the future? And and that's exactly how it's been used in American sports. And it's exactly how it can be used in, in soccer slash football. So I think that that's one area that we're seeing a little bit of growth, but there'll be a lot more. But it takes some pretty smart people to pull that off. Like you're not just going to throw some numbers out there and, and get good information out of it. You actually ha- need to have some, some decent modeling, some understanding of what the error bars look like and a lot of data history in order to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, I think related to all that, I think, you know, it's easy, easy just to, just to like from like you know, this vantage point, just think like, oh, analytics is just like measuring performance on the pitch. But like, it, it, efficient stats work and, and analytics uh, aspects can can help all around an entire club like you know there there there's unlikely to be any area that you know, has hasn't been tu- hasn't is un uh, has been touched entirely by inf- efficiency gains and you can always like you know work out a system to like you know when it comes to finances or like say ticketing or you know player retention or young players there's always something you can look at and you know the best clubs will definitely be like exploring every avenue to you know create edges and exploit you know anything that they can to be basically better operating organizations and i think if you compare like they say the world of business to the world of football you know leagues apart um you know football still got a lot of catching up to in the same vein uh the next question falls yeah i think in that spot much of the chatter of liverpool's transfer plans this summer is that they intend to make no significant moves is this a mistake in light of probable regression coming and the fact that they are probably a win now team in terms of their age curve hmm see I mean, I'm on record saying they should go and get. They should just spend like a reasonable amount of money, all the Champions League money they got, let's say, on like an an, an alternative forward to their very good front three, and I I still think they should do that. I don't think it's a disaster if they don't. However, um, maybe maybe they still do need a little bit more depth. But they they've they've solved problems very like specifically in recent in recent seasons you know they've got their kind of like dominant dominating center back they've sorted out goalkeeper they've got depth in midfield so like you know, even if i mean you wouldn't advocate them doing it <laughs> doing it again like next year or whatever but like for now liverpool can probably just go again with with small tinkering and it not actually affect their outcomes uh too heavily next season um yeah it's 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 an interesting point though because like I mean Tottenham have hit this kind of like age curve thing as well. Tottenham were a young team for a long time, 
and now suddenly they're they're not such a young team. They're more like a kind of peak age team. I think I think Liverpool have one more year where they can kind of stick and and maybe add like one more part or some depth. And then I think if they were to do that for more than than last year and this year, like you would you would worry a little bit about the curve. Um, but that doesn't mean that the curve is exactly right. Like these are averages. Maybe these players age better. Maybe they get better from playing together for a longer period of time. If nobody gets injured, then, you know, amazing. Uh, but, you know, so a lot, there are a lot of guys on that team that are also playing summers. And uh, yeah. and that also bites a bit and, and Again. Take, <laughs> takes away some recovery. Exactly. Like they're just, um, in a sense, there's too much going on in the summers. And these guys need needed that break that used to happen at least every other year. Uh, but the regression thing is there. They're not city. They, they have not been at that level in their statistical output. And so you're a little concerned that instead of being one point behind them, they will be 11 points behind them, which would still win you the league in a lot of years. Yeah. The one, the one thing I'd flip, I'd flip on that. Something I looked at is that they were remarkably consistent in defense. Like they very infrequently gave up like kind of, anything like uh, you know a high expected goals value mm-hmm. you know in in defense um which was you know slightly at odds with what came before so like if they can somehow you know create a system where they're like you know they're they're as solid as they were um then i still think i still think they'll intrinsically win fewer games because they i think they hit the absolute top end of like what they what you could get out of their metrics but like that kind of consistency that un- underlaid their um their results might even, you know, kind of ameliorate between, you know, what you might expect them to regress to and what they actually got to last season. There's, there's, it's, it's a tough balance to kind of like envisage, but they'll have some wages to play with too, right? Sturridge is mm. gone, and we know that he was very well paid. Uh, Minile looks like he's going to move. They'll need a backup goalkeeper. Uh, I'm going to reiterate a point that we make on the show regularly, which is that there's no such thing as staying the same in football. Like, even if you keep everything exactly the same, time ticks on. And and time is a factor in, in playing football. And injuries are a factor yeah. in playing football. And so, like, you just need to be aware of that. You know, Usually, those one or two bodies to freshen things up, uh, to give you a little more depth, to replace some outgoings, are, are almost required. Maybe they think Origi is good enough now to be able to handle that. But we're dealing with a fairly small sample from this year and a lot of, of sub-minutes. I'm not sure that I'd be confident of that. Anyway, yeah, that, that's you know, yeah, just say quickly like Origi, um, Gomez missed a lot of time last season. It's obviously useful for like centre back, right, right back coverage. But like, and Ox, Ox is back too. Um, in theory. Yeah, yeah, how long? <laughs> yeah, in theory. But like, definitely, yeah, sub keeper, sub left back, and like alternative forward are the three areas that you could look at and think like, right, if I was buying, I'd be buying there. Okay, cool. What we got now? Richarlison, Bernard, and David Nierez for the front three. Could it work? Hello, Everton fan. I'd just like to say, if you if you if you if you went back at like ten fifteen years, or like Moyes era, and said like Everton were going to field like an an all Brazilian front three, you'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Everton, surely not. So yeah, Andre Gomez also speaks Portuguese, right? That's useful. Yeah. But like Nero's an interesting one because he's one of these kind of like in between a kind of like potential transfers that you know might end up at somewhere like Everton if you know Everton put like say forty million pounds on the table and said like yeah come to us 
like you know, you, you imagine that his his progression would be to like a slightly higher level of club, but you, you've got teams like West Ham and Everton that are you know in this mix that can go and buy buy this kind of play. You know, they, they bought Richarlison, you know, for very good money off off Watford. So I don't know, like conceptually, how these three players can can have like, Everton trimmed their squad yet. <laughs> because that's, that's a very good point. And uh, is Adamola Lookman going somewhere? Uh, Calvert Lewin. Uh, first of all, like let's let's address the question itself. One of these things is not like the other. Richarlison near is I'm pretty interested in. Bernard was basically a blank for the entirety of last season, and we don't think that he's necessarily going to get any better. So like take out Bernard and add somebody that's interesting, and suddenly yeah, that works. Bernard as like one of the major players and not a backup player uh, in that front three, I think you've got a significant weakness. Yeah, and I think they're probably going to play like more of a kind of, you know, more of a kind of traditional striker in there. Like Cal- I like Calvert Lewin. I think he's decent. I think I mean, he's a huge physical mismatch for most of the league. He really just really, is big and strong. Really handy kind of you know player to have around and young and you know progressing now getting more and more experience. So I've got no you know you see him on Everton team sheet and I'm not I'm not rarely disappointed to see that. So uh, he absolutely monstered Arsenal's fullback or centre backs last year. I think he's got enough pace to to cause problems uh, for pretty much everybody else, and he's great in the air, uh, and that's kind of been a constant. So even if he's a change of pace, like you'd hope that he gets, you know, like sixteen starts or something through the course of the league. Uh, good young player too. Uh, I, I think actually Everton have some pretty interesting young talent. I, I think that Bernard is just the the one that you're going to get rid of, and adding a little more. A little more oomph or or something uh, from one of those wide forward spots. What David Neres should do uh, would make it better. Yeah, right. We're getting close to an hour here, Ted. We're, we've got like two and a half more questions. Go on then. Which one do you want to do now? Robbery? I'm going to ask the one that you want to know. <laughs> Go on then. Anything on Wesley Moriah's move to Aston Villa? Thoughts on the fee and his adaptability? Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I know a bit about this guy because I actually scouted him at one point uh, some while ago um and it's yeah it, i he's he's a bit of a, he's a bit of a just kind of like big guy forward from where he's, uh he's come from belgium isn't he mm-hmm. which club but um yeah he's a bit of a kind of big guy forward um who kind of like lumbers around up front and looks to get on the end of it like we look at his shot shot map from this season like literally all of his finish, all of his goals are from nearly all of his goals are from like right on the edge of the six yard box um so he's he didn't look like he was very aware of what was going on around him he would, you know he doesn't seem like a um a particularly kind of sharp player who's going to make like great runs i, I imagine he's just going to kind of like drive deep into the box and look to get on the end of things finish things off but Do yeah, we know he, the fee it was like 22 million or something. That was what I saw too. Yeah, which, uh, you know, might not feel like too much. And I don't know. I, I, I'm not hugely up positive on him as a, as a like Premier League standard forward, um, you know, d- d- at this stage in his career, maybe ever. So, uh, I don't know. It's difficult if you're Aston Villa and you're, you know, what, what's the market you're shopping in? Then maybe he looks, he pings as someone who like looks, looks appealing. Um, but, I I don't know I I just be a little bit cautious around him. I mean he's he's not you know it is 
expected goals weren't like off the charts either. He had a promising season a couple of years ago. But yeah, only, I think like, three around... seasons ago he was really exciting, and then his trending since then is pretty terrifying, especially given the premium they're paying this year. I don't really like this deal. I would have steered clear of it, but we could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's one of those. Um, adaptability wise it depends really you know kind of like how how Villa decide to set up in in the Premier League you know if they if you just want to ding balls into the six yard box then he probably will get a hand, you know a, a few goals but he might not I don't think he's going to like kind of link up and you know create a flu <coughs> a fluid kind of attack as, as part of it he'll be a focal point and potentially a limited one right what else have we got I, I like this one because it's because it's um just people are creating arguments what makes Rodri pop in your data? The other stats podcast doesn't seem nearly as hard on him. Is it possible he can play the Fernandinho role, or will Pep's system have to change? Pep's system ain't changing for nobody. <laughs> That's not changing. Uh-uh, no. <laughs> ain't be changing, no. I really like Rodri, because I think he just does... Um, like, he just does really simple things well and he just understands his role he's like he's got a really good work rate uh which comes out you know in our pressure data you, you can actually see that he's like kind of like covers like the entire kind of defensive midfield band uh with his kind of defensive activity um he's really good really good simple kind of like pressure valve passer that will just like you know pick up the ball in that in that spot and then just like give it to uh you know whoever you know, is nearby and is going to, you know, progress the ball at the pitch. He doesn't do anything like flashy or ornate or unnecessary. He's just, he's just like a really kind of, if you just defined like a kind of, um, like def- defensively orientated, but like solid, like passing, um, central midfielder, like that kind of, you know, he's just like the archetype of that, I feel. And that is exactly what you want in, in Man City's, um, midfield. Like, you know, Jorginho is not a good a good comparison because I don't think he's quite got the defensive side um, to his game, and he's more kind of you know steers towards the. Rodri's big and good side. in the air too. Yeah, I mean, I he does actually you know stand out like stats wise when it comes to you know just like like here are all the things that I would like my kind of like passing defensive midfielder to be to be competent at, i.e. retaining the ball, uh, like you know defensive work, like kind of you know physical activity as in kind of like pressing and stuff he does all of these things well i mean a couple years ago at villarreal which was the first time that we noted him like we had him as part of a big project uh back in autumn of 2017 we literally flagged him up in october of 2017 as a guy that we thought had a really big future um and he was a little more attacking oriented than I think we've seen it in some of the, the Spanish youth teams where he can do that too. So kind of as an all around midfielder that ticks like every box that you want and the passing model wants to have his babies. Uh, we're pretty happy with Rodri. Uh, you know, uh, you would have been happier paying what Atletico Madrid did. Um, but nevertheless, yeah. And I think that you know, he can play the Fernandinho role, but he can also play the, the Gundogan role and he can add a little more heft to to the the midfield for for City, which can sometimes be valuable, especially in some of those European ties. Yeah, I I I, I would have signed him last summer. No worries for, for anyone really. And like you know, Man City looking looking at him this season, it does it would be a good good way to spend there. You know, if they're not going to buy lots of players because their squad doesn't need a lot of tinkering. Obviously, it's been years now thinking that you need to replace Fernandinho. He fits. We can do that. So I'm, Pep Guardiola can't I'm, win in England. Remember. <laughs> Okay, last question. Other than Tammy Abraham, 
Any other Chelsea loan players you think they should keep around if they're going for a youth movement under Lampard? I think this is kind of what we find potentially interesting about this Lampard phase. Like you give it to him, you know the culture's good and maybe you're going to let him manage for a couple of years and steady the ship as, as Chelsea go through the other side of this transfer ban. Uh, you know, Tammy's obviously there. Ola Aina has been one that's been talked about quite a bit. Ola actually has a nice long throw, you know, useful mm-hmm. thing. Um, and there are a number of others that are dotted around. I would have obviously said, you know, Loftus-Cheek and, and Hudson-Odoi, but they're kind of on long-term injuries. So they're going to they're gonna take a while to come back. But those are certainly true as well. Uh, so, yes, I, I think that it's, you know, Chelsea, possibly more than almost any other team in the league, are capable of withstanding this based on the talent they have in their youth system. Uh, they just need to to kind of move some of those assets around and give them playing time. And now's a pretty good time to do it. But maybe you need to, you know, buy another player or two to to fill the aging squad, the outgoings, the Willian role, etc. Um, yeah, I'm not convinced uh, that Lampard is quite ready for this job. He might be in a couple more years, and you'd like to have that info. But there is there's potentially some sense behind it. Uh, if if this is what they would like to accomplish, who knows? Even even beyond like you know just youth players. I mean, you've got players like you know Jade Silva, who's like a decent player, um, and Mason Mount. Again, they've both been out on loan. But even beyond that, wait, like, did, Chel- was the Silva permanently signed by Bristol? I thought he was. Uh, or am I wrong? I but like they have like players that they that they have contracts with you know i mean maybe they're on loans and stuff but like someone like bakayoko kennedy kennedy's a perfectly like adequate like 21st guy in your in your squad and has been uh has been for um chelsea in the past even someone like kurt zuma if you suddenly like you know light on center backs they've just got so many players on this contract i'm not interested in this idea that like oh my god the transfer ban Chelsea are in real trouble. I mean, yeah, maybe in real trouble if they want to, if they're going to try and win the Premier League next season. But that's unlikely by any stretch of the imagination. But like you say, if, if there's one team that's built to withstand like a transfer ban and with thousands of players under contract, then it's Chelsea. So it's true. Um, you know, Bashoi. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm sure they. I'm sure if you know the shit hit the fan and it was like, right, we're really short on numbers. They could find a way to kind of like retrieve some of their kind of like loan players and and you know f- fill out the gaps in the back end of their squad if they needed to. So I ain't going to be worrying about no Chelsea right now. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Spurs fan. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be fine. <laughs> right. right. Anyway. No, I think that's it. Uh, extended podcast today. Um, I we will not have a pod next week because uh, James and I are on the road, and so enjoy the break from our dulcet from our droning tones. I suppose is how I put it. Uh, yeah, this is it for uh, a week. Enjoy the Women's World Cup, especially. Uh, we have started watching some games, but we're not competent enough to talk about it. But there are other pods out there that you should listen to that are. So do do that. Uh, check out the free data. Uh, we're releasing that, and there are people out there doing lots of cool stuff with the, the free Women's World Cup data. Um, otherwise, thanks a lot for listening, and uh, we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Goodbye.